pray for me. My heart is full already tonight because of the songs, because of the testimony of the saints. I know my Lord loves when people praise him. Of all the sweetness in the world of birds singing and chirping and all the great sounds of his chorus of nature that he has created, there's nothing sweeter than his people lifting up his name and praising him, lifting up their hearts. I believe with all my heart it moves heaven, it moves God. And if we only knew the richness of that and his mind and sight and the value of it, and we can't force it, we know that, we, we can't manufacture it, but when it's real, it, it's invaluable. It's the only thing that truly signifies the real value of what God has done for us. It's the only thing that can. And he tells us that we fail not to give him honor and glory, the very rocks would cry out. Not that they should, but they would have to. Because something has to declare his glory. But aren't you glad he chose us to do that? Us to do that. And we do it in a place of great conflict most of the time because of our sin, as has already been said, and been illustrated, and others. You know, this precious way that we have. And, you know, the early church, as best I can understand, when you ask them what would they have called themselves, it was simply the way. The way of God. The way after Jesus following him and I'm thankful for that but we have many other in old script that were before Jesus Christ that testified of him and if you want to read with me a little bit tonight we're going to be in the book of Job I was Amy was talking about kind of how our sermons had all blended together and and I told her and she may have heard but I told I went up to study I think that was Monday night and or Monday afternoon before service that night. And I told Brother Ben, I said, I think I have everything for the whole week already. And I'm not trying to be bragging, but I was thankful. God spoke so much in my heart. I, he and I had got together Saturday night. I made it a point to kind of get here early. And I felt like we needed, we still had come to the conclusion that we would meet minds again when I got here. And we said, we don't know what we're doing. We don't have any direction yet. And most of the time we feel that way because we need God to move and talk to us. We don't have a clue. Not really. We, we can have a good estimate. We, we can have some educated ideas from Scripture and from past experience of the Lord, but we need that. I want to talk about Job a little bit. Most of you have grown up in church all your life and been in Sunday school. You know about Job. Uh, Job was a man that loved God. He was forthright. Uh, matter of fact, it says that Satan was... Uh, walking up and down in the earth and looking for whom he could devour. And God saw him and had a conversation with him. And remember, God is, Satan is one voice. He's just one. God is mighty and magnificent and multiple in many ways. But he allows Satan to remain for his purpose that's beyond my pay grade in understanding. I'm not even going to approach that question. But I know it pleased God, even though he hates sin. 
But he said, have you considered my servant Job? And he said, oh, I know who he is, but you've got a hedge around him. I can't touch him. Folks, you and I have a hedge around us. We might not be in quite as good a shape as Job is in good works, but our standing before the Lord is in his son Jesus Christ anyways. And God chooses to let certain things happen in our life to his honor and glory to bring us to understanding so that we can speak with knowledge and trust and faith. He also does it to be a witness in the earth and to teach others. So as difficult as those trials are, and I've heard a lot of you talk about that, uh, it's glory to God. It's glory to him. So I want to read a few verses in the Going back a little bit, I think we'll start in the 36th chapter because I just want to kind of start the, the beginning conversation. Uh, 38th, but we'll mention a little bit in the 36th and 37th. Elihu uh, had spoken to Job and he had uh, brought question um, telling him how God is just and everything because Job was asking, why is this calamity come upon me? And as you know, is Satan touched Job, his flesh became covered with, with uh, boils or sores from head to toe. Uh, he lost all of his family, save his wife, his children, his grandchildren, whatever was in existence. All his animals. He was a very wealthy man. Everything he had. And he sat in ashes. And his wife, we all famously know, asked him why he didn't curse God and just die. She had already thought he should kind of go the way of Elijah. Just say, there's no point in me fighting anymore. I'm happy to concede. <laughs> I'm happy to give up and stop now and not contend anymore. But that wasn't Job's heart. He had three good friends that came to him and they said, well, Job, you must have done something really wrong that God would anger and judge you this way. And they thought they were, in some sense in better shape than Job was. And we'll later find out they weren't. And Job, and even all his good works in the Lord, his uprightness, God knew that Job had a problem. Folks, God knows that every one of us has something that stands between us. And we may pick that same issue up over and over and over again. But the work of sanctification in the believer's life is one that God revisits the purpose. He shocks us out of our idleness that we must pick up that spiritual work before God again until we become mature in Him. When we truly become mature, then we are able to truly instruct in others' lives in righteousness, in that true work of righteousness, the true spiritual work that Brother Ben talked about last night. So God is starting instruction in, in the 38th verses, and then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkeneth counsel by words without knowledge? A lot of times we think we know a little bit and we've learned a little bit. And I made the statement the other night, it's kind of comical when the way we talk to God sometimes. And definitely God is jiding at Job. 
Third verse, gird up now thy loins like a man, for I will demand of thee and answer thou me. There are times God wants us to respond. He wants us to truly have a conversation with him about what we know and what we don't know. There were many who said, I am a man of unclean lips. Ever felt that way? I can't even respond to God. I don't know how to begin the conversation with you, Lord. Definitely when we get to that place that we are broken and surrendered, we know we have no answer for God. And we must come to that place many times in our growing in the Lord. And we grapple. And we wonder, God, am I going the right way? Is there a reason for my unclarity in this? But the answer always comes from the Lord. It's not our aha moment, it's his. He is teaching us. Fourth verse. Where was thou when I laid the foundation of the earth? Declare it if thou hast understanding. Can we say that we have ever been in a place of antiquity with God that we really know his works and his mind? You know, it's like when a child comes to their parent and says, well, I know, and you know they don't even begin to know. (laughs) They haven't experienced any of the things of life. They think that they know how you should raise them. And so you you ever bore a child? You ever raised a child? Have you ever worried about a child? Have you ever loved a child? And you go, one day they will, if the Lord tarries. Many times we respond to God like that. And he's patient. It's amazing that God's patience is enduring love for us human beings amidst our folly. And many people think that, well, God's being mean to Job. Why would he put him through this trial? Oh, he loved him. And how much better his last days were than his beginning ones, even with all this hardship. Remember, whatever God is teaching you and the lesson he's bringing you through, your last days with him are better than your beginning days. It gets better and sweeter by and by. My grandmother that I told you about that prayed and listed all our grandkids' names, she had a very sweet, lovely friend named Sister Patry Bragg. Sister Patry Bragg sat next to my mother. She was always a jolly, heavy woman, big, huge, liquid blue eyes, you know, beautiful smile. And as... She lived on later in years, even after my grandmother had passed. I had heard that she was having a lot of problems with her diabetes and that she was in a nursing home and that she had lost part of both of her lower limbs. And I was trying to prepare myself how to go in and talk to her as a young man while I was in college and how I would cheer her up and how I would help her. I approached her room down the hall And I heard a cheerful voice, someone laughing, smiling as I walked in, and the room was full of the presence of God. 
She always made you feel better having gone in to see her than you ever could have helped her. Her place with the Lord and her understanding of what she was going through, and they continued to cut on her for the next few years before she died. But boy, she taught me a lot. The knowledge she had of God and, and the peace that he gave her and the assurance and the joy far out surpassed any natural blessing she could have had. Folks, our God is real. He is worth contending for. And this is part of the lesson with Job here. Fifth verse, who hath laid the measures thereof, if thou knowest, or who hath stretched out the line upon it? <laughs> we get a sense of the feeling of the grandeur of God and his creation and what he does and what he knows. We figure out how silly we really are. We love to sing the song, How Great Thou Art, one of my favorite of many. I love the lines in that. And how the writer in the verses acknowledges the wonder of God's creation, and then he just bursts out in that chorus. And it accelerates and gets louder and becomes as grand as his voice will let it be because of the joy that swells within his heart. I can't help but think that Job felt the foolishness as God spoke, but also the joy of his God. Sixth verse, whereupon are the foundations thereof fastened, or who laid the cornerstone thereof? No, those are questions we can't ask. We know that the world was spoken into existence, but in the mind of God, in his infiniteness, in his omniscience, and all his power, he knew exactly how it worked, how it was fastened together. We are still uh, exploring outer space and its vastness, and we'll never get to the end of it. We thought for a long time we understood what kept the universe from expanding and staying in space, and it was accelerating. And I remember when I first went to college, way long time ago, they started talking about this thing called dark matter. And then they found out just a few years ago, and I have a very good friend, he's a brilliant scientist, he's world-renowned, and, and uh, he came to me talking to me, and, and he grew up in a very conservative religious background in Ohio, and he's come and visited me a few times, and when we go to conventions and so forth, and he asked me questions, and somehow or another, I don't, I, don't, I don't know how, but God drew him to me and me to him. And he had a lot of questions, doubted a lot of things for a long time, but he ran me down and, and he said, Steve, do you, do you know that they've just figured out by mathematical computation that dark matter can't exist? It's impossible. I said, yeah. He goes, well... And now they're talking about this thing, dark energy, but it don't work either. And I said, yeah. And so he was trying to ponder. He was looking for biblical, scriptural answer to it. He, he's become a believer. He, he really believes now and understands that you cannot explain the world and any of it without an intelligent being. And it has to be the Lord that we serve. I rejoice in that because people told me when we first started talking, you're wasting your time with that man. I knew there had already been planted seeds in his life by people of faith a long time ago. 
Having said that, we got to talk about Scripture a little bit, and I quoted a few verses to him about what the Lord says about his creation. And he first started to make a, a well, and then he said, nodded his head. He said, yep, it's beyond our understanding, and there's no point talking about it, because we're never going to know. I had a professor at Touch Astrophysics, and I had met him a long time before that as a customer. Uh, but I didn't know when I entered his class, and I felt like he was a believer from the time I first met him. And I had asked him how he handled all the complications of, of questions that students asked him. He said, well, Steve, I have never spoke about God in my class. He said, I don't have to. He said, the scientific mathematical evidence we have proves there has to be a God. And as it continued in his class, he took very complicated mathematical theories and, and applications, and he showed us how they showed light waves and how we could measure distances and how we could know certain things. And I said, I can understand this. I never was a person that could take theoretical, theoretical math and plug it in. I had to know the purpose of it, what it did. And then when I understood that application, I could do it. But I, was, I enjoyed it so much for this reason. I'm, I'm laboring you for just a point. He showed always that it was impossible for all this to hang and work without God. The mathematics just prove it. It's improbable. There's too many things that have to line up. So who are we to think that we can truly understand God? we'll understand what he lets us have. Folks, we're little finite beings. Let's just rejoice that we get to have a relationship and communicate with the Almighty, and he is mindful of us. I saw student after student in that class in awe of what he taught us and showed us. I have no doubt that any of them were serious could have walked away from his course. And there was an evidence of God in him as he taught when he showed these wonders. And he would show us the constellations in the farthest reaches. And just, I'm telling you, they're more beautiful than any artwork that's ever been made. I've been able to view Monet's and beautiful artwork from great artists from around the world. And, I'm, and there's a reason they call them the masters, believe me. They'll take your breath away. But nothing has ever outdone what God has created. So this is all that God is bringing Job to the understanding of here. And we have several lines of verse, but I like how he comes down to these few verses, the 12 and said, Hitherto, 11 verse, shalt thou come, but no further, and here shall thy proud waves be stayed. Talking about the sea. Hast thou commanded the morning since thy days and caused the day spring to know his place. Which one of us have ever commanded the day? Which one of us have ever commanded the sun to come and sit where it does? Perfectly the way it does. But I think that's a picture of something more there too he gives hint of. Because the scripture also relates the day spring as being Jesus Christ. Who of us, which of us know this? and know the place of God. 
And then in the 17th verse, he asked a question. Have the gates of death been opened unto thee, or have thou seen the doors of the shadow of death? Now, we know that death is coming. We've seen it many times after we've been alive many years. We know it's a reality, but do we know, have any of us been able to appear behind the back workings of the doors of death? We know that one of our families had a funeral today. We don't know what sits on the other side. My grandfather sat with many people dying. I have too. But I can tell you I've never sat in a room someone dying that had a relationship with Jesus Christ that they didn't die in peace and with smile and joy in their life in the last days. And so it's amazing to me in all these questions. And yet God was still doing something special here with Job. You and I have a little knowledge, as I said the first night I was here. We have a little truth, but God is taking us someplace better so that we have statute and experience by his word and in our life to see him better and greater. Brother Ben illustrated that a man had been a great help to him in his life when he was grappling with his calling to preach, and he just knew. He talked to Ben, and he never really tipped him off, and then he came back, and I believe, and sat with him again and asked him a question that made Ben know that he knew what he was grappling with. Where does that kind of knowledge come from? Where does that kind of spiritual experience come from? from knowing the Lord God Almighty and knowing how He handles us and deals with us which shows patience and love. And we as mature Christians grow into that to be the example and witness of God and His might. Isn't it wonderful that even in His complexity and wonder and our finiteness, He chooses to use you and I and share His glory with us? It never fails to amaze me that God desires to use us and the way he has purposed it. So we come into the 40th chapter, and I want to tell you what's happening here with God talking to Job this way. God broke the silence of heaven. We often think God doesn't speak to man in significant and profound ways, but we that have been saved and we've heard the testimonies tonight know what it is for him to come in our heart and speak to us and make us know that we're his child more than just his creation. But he has completed us in his son, Jesus Christ. And we know that something transformed between heaven and us when that happened. God broke the silence of heaven to communicate with us, the God of heaven. It's an amazing thing. When my mother turned at me at eight years old and I told her that I had been saved, she said, Steve, are you sure? How can you not be sure when you look by faith to Jesus Christ and you see him respond to you? And there's no voice like that one. And what peace 
He speaks to us. So as Job contends with his God speaking to him here, his three friends that came and accused him and judged him, interesting, sent Job back to asking his Lord these questions. Lord, I thought I've been just. I thought I was undeserving of these things. I'm perplexed why you would allow these things in my life. Do you ask those questions? I do. I said, Lord, I'm trying to be your servant. I'm trying to be your preacher. Why don't I have this? Why why hasn't this worked out in my life? Why is this the path I'm on? Why, Why did you let me lock myself out of my car and my house tonight? You ever done that? I have. Walk and wake up a neighbor in the one in the morning so you can call somebody, you know. Stupid stuff happens to us sometimes. Tragedies happen to us. When I was very young, I was opening my first business, and I had uh, asked God to help me, and I was getting open. I was in a tractor accident, broke my femur up high, and the moment it happened, every business around me happened to be looking out their window. The rainbow uh, vacuum cleaner salesman, the car lot across the street, the people at Rack's <laughs> restaurant, remember those? And there were several, and I don't know why they were looking at that moment, but they saw it happen. And they ran up my legs, and it looked a lot worse than it ended up being. And they all ran toward me, and of course, I, being stupid, was going to try to stand up. I was in shock. And they said, oh, no, just sit there. Ambulance is coming. I'm home. Seemed to be okay. Bad break, but a clean break. So they were going to put me in a body cast or do surgery or something. And, and I sat there that Friday night saying, Lord, why this? You have led me to do this. You've led me away from college. You, you told me that you were going to help me own a business. And, and I'm following you. And now this, I don't understand it. I, I found a good church, Lions at that time. I think I'm going to join there. And as I began to dwell with God in that room late at night all by myself, the Lord said, why not you? That next morning I grappled, I studied my Bible, and I finally said, Lord, if you want my life, it's yours. You've already done incredible things in my life. Who am I to reply to you why? You don't have to be old to come to that place. I was about 22. And I meant it. And peace entered that little hospital room beyond understanding. It was as great as the day he saved me. We forget what that feels like. We forget the wonder of that kind of joy and, and, and relationship with Christ. And folks, we can have it every day if we will get off our high horse with God and humble ourselves before him and say, I am thine, O Lord. I am thine, whatever that means. I ended up throwing a fatty embolism and nearly died. My parents had come that Friday night. My dad nearly passed out. He can't stand the sight of blood. And they'd put my leg in traction. You know, that ugly look. But anyways, <clears throat> they came to the hospital Sunday, brought a bunch of people from church, Columbus, Indiana, down to Louisville University Hospital where I was at. And they were quickly ushered aside. A friend of ours was the head respiratory therapist in the hospital. She had been checking on me ever since I'd went in. She said, Steve, I heard 
code blue for your room. 20 years of being a respiratory therapist, called the people in cardiac arrest. I never seen, saw anyone that blue in my whole life. The doctor who came in and checked on me that morning, I remember feeling really groggy, someone quite right, but I was coherent enough, they thought I was just sleepy. 30 minutes later, the nurse came in and she found me in that condition. Did God mean for me to die? Why would he orchestrate it like that? When she got up to my room, she said that, and she told my parents they were just getting ready to cut his tracheotomy, and they had the paddles on him, and they tried it one more time, and he revived. My dad, granddad had come up, who had seen many people in the hospital over many years, and he was preparing my parents for the worst. And they kept saying, well, he, we think he was without oxygen for maybe 20 minutes. And he'll probably be brain dead. And if he does survive, he'll have serious complications most of his life. There's about 40 of my church family and family in the waiting room of that hospital. And they began to cry out to God. The one they knew was real, that could heal me. And if not, it would be to his honor and glory and they would accept it. But it made the news in that hospital. The Lord brought me out of that in three and a half days. It took me a while to get all my composure and they kept doing all types of psychiatric tests and everything on me, make sure I was okay, seeing things have been good, you know. And uh, as everybody started to see that I was well, that I was very well, I would have people come into my room all the hours, the days, and night, checking on different things, doing different events, cleaning my room, and they would just look at me. They'd turn around, they'd look at me. And I'd say, hey, how are you? And they'd go, are you that boy whose family was praying in the waiting room? I wasn't here, but I heard about it. They said, you, you died. I said, yeah, that was me. And God opened the door for me to tell them about my wonderful Lord and what he had done in my life. Folks, I knew that God had reserved me for a purpose as a young boy with what he'd done. I didn't know what the purpose of all those things were. I had all kinds of ambitions in life and kind of wanted to add God on the end, even with all those gifts, as much as I loved him. But I'll be a preacher, Lord, but let me wait a little later. He had been dealing with me since I was 17 years old about it. Lord, I'll, I'll do great and wonderful things for you, but let me make my first few million, you know. And with all the things I'd had go on, in that enterprise of great blessing from God, mankind and Satan always want to take you. And like I said, they want you to put yourself on the throne of God in your spiritual man. And they were always whispering, you can do this, and you can do that, and you deserve this, and you can have that. And I mean everything from a career in music, to design, to journalism, to athleticism, it just went on. Folks, that's the exact conflict 
and opposite of everything I believed about myself as an eight-year-old boy who couldn't read and couldn't speak and was considered dumb by most of the people who interacted with me. What do we know about ourselves? What do we know about God? And see, there's the big problem. We think we know something about ourselves. We did not create ourselves. We do not sustain ourselves. God holds us in his hand. And every day that we have and every breath we have are given by him. And he has orchestrated it. And this is the point that God is getting to Job. Job somehow in even all his goodness... And I say that quote unquote because that's what we exist in, our self-righteousness. God, I deserve better than this. I say that all the time and have to repent to the Lord. Lord, I deserve better than this. And we fight it. One of the big problems in society today, folks, is we fight what God says is of the glory, and that is our aging The Bible says it's a crown of glory, our hoary heads. That means gray. Or our bald heads, which means white. All these things and experience we have with God are a a beautiful testimony to his goodness in our life if we live in him. And we ought to walk in that grace that he has brought us to this point. And it is a glory in our life for however many days he gives us and however many breaths we've had. He's had a purpose in all of it. Some say, well, I don't know what my life could possibly have been for. But if you have been earnest in the love of God and striving to know him and grow in him, (coughs) brother, sister, your reward's going to be better than any Bill Gates when you ever get to heaven. And that will be the least of us. What he has for us This world could have never imagined. He shows us all the glory of this creation, and we are blown away by it. But folks, what he has in store for those that are his has never entered the mind of man even. Never entered the mind of man. We can't even begin to compare it to anything we think we know. And so all of this to illustrate to Job how that he's so little and so small and so finite And yet there's a great God who knows him and loves him. And he brings him down. 40th verse, 40th chapter. Moreover, the Lord answered Job and said, Shall he that contendeth with the Almighty instruct him? He that reproveth God, let him answer it. Then Job answered the Lord and said, Behold, I am vile. What shall I answer thee? I will lay my hand upon my mouth. (laughs) Folks, you know, we do. We need to lay our hand upon our mouth and just shut up sometimes. And it's amazing what God can do for us when we open that mouth to his honor and glory. My sister, I was telling you about her uh, giving one of the most beautiful testimonies. She'd been really through a trial the last uh, couple years, and, and she was testifying and praising God that her life, she wanted all of it to magnify him in truth and praise and glory in every aspect of her life. And then all of a sudden, God moved in her heart, and he said, she said to the pastor, I need to join this church. And she just about put her hand over her mouth like that. She couldn't believe she said, folks, God brings out of the deepest recesses of his will and purpose when we are in the right heart.
we all contend with moving toward God, moving toward the knowledge and understanding and place and relationship where they need to be. But folks, when we move to acknowledge, when we respond in repentance, He lets it usher out of us like fountains of living water. His purpose and work in us. Fifth verse, once I have spoken, but I will not answer. Yea, twice, but I will proceed no further. But Job hasn't quite repented yet fully here. He's acknowledged what God has done. And then answered the Lord unto Job out of the whirlwind and said, Gird up thy loins now like a man. You've heard your pastor talk about that a lot lately, I know. And I will demand of thee and declare thou unto me. So he said, I'm going to let you know what is expected of you, and now I want you to declare it to me. Have you ever had God say that to you? If you're his, I guarantee you have. Sometimes he tells us to talk like a man and walk like a man. He asks us, you ladies, to talk like a woman and act like a woman before him, right? He demands that of us. He deserves that of us. And will thou also disnull my judgment? Will thou condemn me that thou mayest be righteous? See, when we contest God in any one, we are contending that that we're righteous. Has, has thou, and listen to the knife, or has thou an arm like God? Do we have that strength and power in our life? Or canst thou thunder, listen to this, thunder with a voice like him? Folks, I've never been able to out yell God. You ever get in a shouting match with somebody, you're one of your siblings when you were a kid, and it just kept getting louder and louder and louder, and nobody really won. Sometimes we do it with our parents too, don't we? And our parents with the kids. Sometimes with the dog, right, Brother Ben? But anyways. <laughs> but we can't win it. We can't win it. He's the authority. If you're under conviction and you're kicking against the pricks as Paul was, you'll never win that contest. He is right. And only he is right. And you will never be right. And we've heard some good things about that last night too. And then he told him, Deck thyself now with majesty and excellence and array thyself with glory and beauty. Folks, can any of us do what God has done? No, absolutely not. And yet we want to pull upon ourselves glory and honor and beauty and all the things that this world entices us and tells us belongs to us. And none of it belongs to us. All of it belongs to God. And he's the only one worthy of all of it. Right? The only one. And then he gives him a contest down the 14th verse. Then will I also confess unto thee that thine own right hand can save thee. If God said, Job, if you can do any of these things, I will agree with you that the strength of your own hand and life can save you. Couldn't do it. He goes on to talk to him. 
And he goes all the way through the 40 for first. He gives us those beautiful pictures of some say the hippopotamus and the rest of that. And, and all the might and strength and glory of what God has created. Showing the might and power of God and how we cannot contend with him. We'll never win that fight. We never will. And he goes all the way through the 41st chapter talking about Leviathan. And, and you know how can you pull him out with a hook? Have you ever went fishing with a standard hook and tried to pull out a sea monster? You can't do it. We go acting like we're going to draw God out and have some kind of conversation and we're going to win it. it ain't going to happen. There's some men that contended with God. One of them ran from him. He got cast out of a boat, swallowed up by a whale, thrown up on dry land, still contended with God. God was going to have his way with him, and he did. Jonah was still mad about it, still self-righteous. Well, I want to go down those Ninevites. He went down there, and he just said the bare utter words he had to say, and yet God still saved those people because there was more righteousness in them toward God than there was that man. And God had to prove it to him. He let a little bit of shade come over him, comfort, and he just let a worm come off and cut it down. So he sat there and baked in the sun to teach him a lesson. Folks, are we baking in the sun? Are we burning up when all God wants us to do is be obedient to him and declare his glory? So we're going to jump down to this 46th verse. And then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that thou canst do everything and that no thought can be withholden from thee. Who is he that hideth counsel without knowledge? Therefore have I uttered that I understand. Listen to that. I understand not. That's the first honest thing Job has said. And folks, that's the only honest thing that we can say before God as sinners and his saved, redeemed alike. I cannot understand. That's true surrender. It's in the pretense of the human mind to act like we're something, have something, know something, are something. The only thing that we can boast of is Jesus Christ alone. That's it. I uttered that, therefore I have, therefore I have I uttered that I understand not things too wonderful for me, which I knew not. Now Job is coming to some understanding and wisdom about his almighty God. People think, well, wisdom is so you can go out and have whatever you want in the world and inspire everyone and impress them. Wisdom is about being in right relationship with God. Being with him, residing with him, habitating with him. The Ark of the Covenant was a picture of habitating with God. The tabernacle, the temple, and folks, our habitation is in his son, Jesus Christ. He has made it possible for us to reside with God. Fourth verse, here I beseech thee, and I will speak. I will demand of thee and declare thou unto me. I have heard of thee by the hearing of the ear. 
but now mine eye seeth thee. The hearing and seeing of God only comes by that spiritual work that God performs in us. We often think, well, the spiritual work is me knowing how to relate to other people and my operation in the world. Folks, it's not for that. It's that we can have right relationship with Him so that we respond to Him correctly. We answer Him correctly and we obey Him correctly. When we're children, we don't always understand the things that are told us. Mom and Dad have to tell us again and again. We forget. And then we have to verify. And then He comes and they show us, no, like this. You need to do it like this, not like this. And we go, no, I think I had this conversation recently I heard. Uh, I did it like that. I said, no, you didn't. No, you didn't do it like that. Am I right, Amy? Anyways, <laughs> and we go back and we prove those things. God does it with us too. God does it with us too. And it was so that after the Lord had spoken these th words unto Job, the Lord said to Eliphaz and the, and the Temanite, my wrath is kindled against thee and against thy two friends, for ye have not spoken of me the thing that is right as my servant Job had. Remember those two friends that were jiding Job and telling him he made some big mistake and he was in right standing with God? How many times do we look at someone else and we compare them to us or someone else or what we think the standard of righteousness is? or the way God should be treating them in their life. And it reminds me of the scripture. Do not try to take a speck out of your brother's eye when you got a beam in your own. And we honestly think, well, that's, it's talking about hypocrisy, folks. It's talking about being no different than the ones that we judge. Every one of us stand before God in some arrogancy and in some defiance and some lack of understanding of our God. Any one of us could be this Job. God could pull us out and put us in a place to bring us to greater understanding, to His glory, and to our relationship. And He commanded them that they were to go and make their uh, offerings and then to go apologize to Job. And then they would be restored. And Job forgave them forgave them. Why could he have that type of compassion and love toward his friends who had judged him so harshly? Because he had come before the judgment of God and in the almighty goodness of God and his repentance found justice and mercy and grace to sustain him. Let's have that with one another. Let's have that toward lost humanity. A lot of times we go, I don't understand why. Why do they resist? Folks, the question isn't why, it's when. When will they obey God? And can we pray and endure and show them a just and loving God who is compassionate toward us in our undeserving, lowly state and say, I'm no better than you. Matter of fact, I'm probably worse than you. And yet here I stand because of the God who made the miracles 
beyond comprehension loveth me. I've heard that over and over this week. It is real. God bless you. I pray that if God continues to speak with you, that you will find joy. And I have such hope tonight of so many I know. I believe with all my heart that God in His special spirit that has dwelled with us this week is working the hearts of many. I pray that this world stands long enough to see them respond to the voice of God. God bless you.